0: Good morning. Today is the 10th day of Tevet 5783, corresponding to Tuesday, January 3rd, 2023. Today we will look at the second part of chapter 9, and the altar Rebbe describes here that we have to see our life, in a way, as a battle. We've been talking about the animal soul and the divine soul. So now he gives the metaphor that they're at war with each other. Or to use the language he describes, he says, our body's a city. Right? Our this object that we inhabit is a small city that has two rulers the divine soul, and the animal soul, which he will also define in this chapter as the Yetzir Tov and the Yetzer Hara, or the good inclination and the evil inclination, which we will define a little bit more shortly. And he says that these two kings, these two souls, these two sides, the dark side, the light side, the good, the evil, uh, uh, the divine and the animal soul are in constant battle. And obviously the goal in creation is that the divine soul should overcome the animal soul. And this entire section of chapter 9 is going to look at how the divine soul, once it wins, what does it do to the body? And he describes it as follows. He says that the will and the desire of the divine soul is to rule over the entire being, not just the mind, not just the spirituality, but the entire being. There shouldn't be a dichotomy. There shouldn't be a division. There shouldn't be a bifurcation between our physical life and our spiritual life. It should be one and the same. And that we should... Be cultivating ourselves to be a vessel for the wisdom and the desire and the will of this divine soul, this nefesh Elokit, right? This godly um, animated animation of our existence. And the word he uses to describe that is a Hebrew word called merkava, which translates as chariot. Famously, the word is used to describe Jewish mysticism as a whole, based on the understanding of the Mishnah in Chagiga, which says that a person should not study the Maase Merkava, the story of the chariot, with more than one person, and that one person has to be of a certain ilk. And so, for the Alter Rebbe here, the language he's using is obviously, again, it's a borrowed language, and a chariot in his context is a vessel that needs a driver, a vessel that has no independent will. In the Talmudic period, when they were using that term to describe what I use the word mysticism for, they were looking specifically at the story of Ezekiel as the chariot in which God reveals himself to the prophet. Um, it's the royal vehicle. In in as the imagery of the of Ezekiel describes, that a that is becomes the pre sorry that becomes the precedent for later ideas of Jewish mysticism about how we relate to God and vice versa, and so he uses this word here to talk about how the body is merely a chariot for the soul, it's merely the vehicle for the soul to to animate the body, and to through that to emanate through us this godliness. And the way he describes this next piece is that the soul then wants to imbue the body with the positive attributes that we've been describing in the previous chapters and that the body should be animated through those alone, not the animal soul. So it begins with the brain going back around, right? So the brain contains those three intellectual attributes of Chachma, Bina, and Da'at. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And permeating from them will be the various emotional places, specifically awe of God and love of God, which will then emanate into the heart. And as we saw yesterday, the heart contains two vessels. You've got the left ventricle, which is full of the of blood, which is the location of the animal soul and then you've got the right vessel which is empty of blood which is if you will the receptacle for this divine soul and the way he posits it's here is how do we know that the divine soul is winning the battle our love of God is so overflowing that it flows into the left ventricle and it actually overwhelms the blood of the of of that left ventricle that's already sitting there. What is this love of God? What is this feeling? So so all of God, of course, is the idea of of recognizing the grandeur of the world, and then the love of God is a burning desire that's so great that that as he'll describe soon, it'll be one of absolute pleasure and enjoyment. But before we get to that, He offers us an interpretation of one of the more famous verses of the Torah from Deuteronomy. In the verses of the Shema, you should love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And so there are many interpretations of this. The Alter Rebbe's interpretation, taking the concepts we just described, he says that with all your heart means that the heart is filled with the love of God. With all your soul would imply that this love therefore spills over into the other soul, which is the animal soul. So all your soul, we are the composite of both. And so if the love of God has to be so overflowing that it, it encompasses both ends of the soul and with all your might means that will the love, loving God to the point where one will sacrifice their life for God. And meaning that the body is so overwhelmed by this spirituality that the Body, if you will, gives up on its physical desires, including the desire of life, taking precedent over this divineness. So, which again, I think he had warned us previously. We have to be mindful and careful of. So the goal here, of course, is that this love overwhelms the dark side, the evil side, and transforms it as well into love of God. And this is comes from a word called avar a phrase called avarabah, an abundant love, which is a love that surpasses even the level of most powerful love like fiery flashes. It's a love out of delight. It's ta'anug. It's absolute pleasure. And it's a level that is so over-encompassing that nothing can stand in its way. And it transforms the negativity. It transforms the intellect. It transforms the body and as he'll describe it's also going to be so powerful it's going to transform how we think and through how we think how we speak and through how we speak how we act and so he comes full circle to describe this battle where the victory comes when our whole being encompasses the divine mission that we are given And briefly, the Alter Rebbe then goes on to say, "Oh, and by the way, if the animal soul overcomes, then it's going to be the opposite, right? So, if the animal soul, which is the the biological, right? So, the left ventricle is full of blood, so it's going to easily pump through. It's going to easily overtake the, human, the, the our being, and it'll easily, it'll actually more easily, it could more easily win the battle." At the end of the chapter. He then speaks about one more idea with this soul and with this inclination. So there's another interpretation of the phrase with all your heart that suggests that the language of that word is a little bit strange. So the, I think this, uh, this comes out of the Gemara. This comes out of Rashi. The phrase is with all of your heart. Should have said libcha, with a one, with one bet. So for those that um, know the Hebrew, the word Lev is lamet bet. Levavcha has two bets in it, and it's a strange way to write the word. And so the rabbis have interpreted, and this is a very common interpretation, that it must mean that there are two hearts that it's dealing with, or if you will, two inclinations the good and the evil inclination. What is the good and evil inclination? So our, the presumption is in those words, good is good and evil is the bad. Yet, for the Alter Rebbe in the end of this chapter, they're both good. One is inherently good and pushing us to the good and the other is good but testing us, constantly testing us. And it uses the following metaphor that comes from the Zohar. Uh, about um, it says as follows a king desired to test the moral strength of his only son he had a most charming and clever woman brought before him Explained to, the her-, to her the purpose of the test he ordered her to exert every effort to seduce the crown prince for the test to be valid the, the supposed harlot had to use all her charms and guile without betraying her mission in the slightest way Any imperfection on her part would mean disobedience and the failure of her mission. However, while she uses all her seductive powers, she inwardly desires that the prince should not succumb to them. Now, as an aside, we have to understand that throughout most of history, the metaphors of the good and evil inclination comes out of Mishlei, the book of um, Proverbs and other sources that there's that women were seen in this role of seductress. They were very, it was a very um, generalized motif of the woman could either bring us to good or the or woman could bring us to bad. Again, these are one of those things that over centuries and in our modern ethic can be very troublesome and at the same time can provide us with an understanding. What's, his, what's the story? the Yitzhahara, this evil inclination, its job is to be a test for us. Its job is to be a stumbling block for us. In the Hasidic world, this is a very powerful idea that we are always being tested and that the test is being set up by God. Why are we being tested? We could get into that argument. Should we be tested? Should we not be tested? But the metaphor of a test, a constant test, where the goal really is for us to succeed and for it to fail, it needs language to be expressed. So in for hundreds of years, that language was through the eyes of this seductress. Um, I'm not trying to gloss over it. I think that there's a lot of issue with that. But I think we, again, as I've said in many other contexts, to throw out the underlying premises based on how we get there can be very challenging. Reality is that if we were to write this parable today, we were talking about a king put a variety of stumbling blocks in our way purposefully so that we would overcome them. And the goal of the stumbling blocks, these people who are put in our way or the situations, is that we should overcome them, that they should actually fail. But they need to put all their efforts in to make sure that they don't. And of course, just because you put all your efforts in doesn't mean that you're going to succeed. The goal is to still have that quote-unquote failure. So to summarize this chapter we've now we, we saw in this entire chapter this biological model for understanding how the divine soul and the animal soul have to interact and how the divine soul needs to work towards overcoming that animal soul and that the mechanisms in our biological makeup as he describes allows this to occur. And so, the message for today, if you will, is it's our job and our mission to be working towards, to actually be working actively towards creating a situation where the divine soul is our driver, not the animal soul. So that we are working towards that growth in spirituality. It's a constant battle. And again, taking into the guise the overall thesis that this is a book about the Benoni, the one that's in this constant battle, this chapter really gives us a good picture of what that struggle for the majority of people will always be and I think it's a message that he's using to pump up those who are reading and saying you will be in this battle. You will constantly be in this battle and your mission is to always be striving towards that victorious side which is the side where the divine soul uh, animates the body and and to always be trying to overcome how easy it is for the animal soul to overtake it. And so I want to leave us with that message today is that our, our, our job here is to work towards that through through the actions, our speech and our thought, towards constantly giving the opportunity for the divine soul to, to win the day, if you will. So that is our Tanya lesson for today, and we will be back hopefully tomorrow for Chapter 10.